Well, good morning. Welcome to Vineyard Church of Hopkinton. My name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. We're so grateful that you're here with us, worshiping Jesus here together. We know that Jesus has good things for us every time that we come together to focus on him, to pray, to worship, to to read his word, to hear what it is that he's speaking specifically to you and to I. And we're excited for what's to come today. Sarah's ending our series called Renew Building Places of His Presence this morning. And as she ends the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see an ending that seems... Uh, a little unfinished, a little uneven. Uh, It leaves us wondering what's to come, what's next. And it points us towards God's bigger picture, bigger plan for our world and for us. And I'm excited for what's to come today. But I want to invite you out next Sunday uh, to something that we have good going on here at our church. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating uh, our lead pastor transition as we transition from Rob Davis to Sarah and I as lead pastors over our church. I know Sarah and I are so honored by this. We're so grateful and we're excited for what's to come for our church. But we'll talk about that in the future, right? Uh, For right now, we want to celebrate Rob and Liz Davis and all that they have done for our church, the ways that they've led so faithfully, that they've pointed us to Jesus, that they've invited the Holy Spirit that they've risked in really good ways. And so next Sunday night at 4.30 and 6.30, we're going to have two opportunities to be able to celebrate Rob and Liz that we want to invite you out to. So go to our registrations, uh, however you get to that, either through our website, through the Church Center app. Register for one of those two times to come on out. It'll just be a short 45-minute service, a time to be able to say Thank you to Rob and Liz and to just celebrate and look back on the good things God's done in the 20 plus years that they've been our lead pastors. So I want to invite you out to it next Sunday morning and our online and in-person services will also be focusing on this transition in a, uh, a really hopefully powerful way. So things might look a little different. So keep your eyes open for that. But for today, again, we're so grateful that you're here with us. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And let's see what's next. The book ends. I mean, it's very strange. But we've been prepared for it, right? These anticlimactic moments have been woven into the book's design intentionally. And so it raises the question, what on earth does this book contribute to the storyline of the Bible? Well, remember, the book started by raising our hopes in the prophetic promises about the Messiah, the temple, the kingdom of God, and then none of it happens. So even though Israel is now back in the land, their spiritual state seems unchanged from before the exile. And while Ezra and Nehemiah, they do their best, but their political and social reforms among the people don't address the core issues of their heart. So what the book is pointing out is the same need highlighted by the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. What God's people need is a holistic transformation of their hearts if they're ever going to love and obey their God. And so the book ends on a downer, yes, but it forces you to keep reading on into the wisdom and prophetic books to find out what is God going to do to fulfill his great covenant promises. But for now, that's the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, guys, we have spent six weeks in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And after just six weeks, does not have a great ending. Um, as I was studying this book in seminary, my professor summarized it as, tastes like more. Get to the end. It tastes like more. What we have is a glass half full. They have a, 
accomplished some amazing things coming back, rebuilding, uh, uh, renewing their, their, their religion, their culture. But in the end, they also have some real problems. And it's just not a satisfying uh, finish. When we have a glass half full with God, we need to ask why. Is, is there a problem of capacity? Is there, is there a crack? Is there a sin? Is there something? Is there a problem of capacity? Is it because we're not asking for any more? Or are we happy? Are we like, oh, you know, close, close enough? Maybe at this point in time, this is really all we can actually handle. Maybe there's some other issues. Uh, maybe some things are just really out of whack in our lives and we need to realign, straighten some things up if we want to get our glass full. But friends, whenever we have a glass half full with God, I promise you, it always points us to, to fixing something. It always points us towards uh, uh, more, towards prepares us for something. It always points us towards fulfillment with God. Listen, we have no obligation to always be filled to the brink. Most strong Christians aren't. But God is not stingy. And if there's a problem, it's with me, not with God. And I think just in light of God's grace and mercy and love and power, in light of like the champagne fountain, the free refills, we can say, hey, I notice that my glass is half full. We can say, I notice that our church is not moving and healing and hearing God's voice. I notice that I am not empowered with God's love. I'm grateful for a cup. God has given me everything. Maybe I have not received everything. Friends, that's where we want to go this morning. Praying into receiving the fullness of what God has for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we do turn to you this morning as our source. We look to you, Jesus, and we notice the ways in which our cup is half full. In our community, in ourself, we just really turn to you as our source. We are here uh, for a spiritual thing. We are here for you. We are here for God. And we turn to you as our source, Jesus. Um, would you fill us up this morning? Would you uh, show us any ways that we do not have the capacity, that we are, we are broken, Jesus? Would you mend us back together this morning? And ultimately, Jesus, would you take us closer to what you have for us, how you desire to give us abundant life, as your word says, uh, from the hearts of believers would flow streams of living water, that we would be filled up, not as a pool that contains it, but as a river that passes on that blessing to others. We say, come, Jesus, speak to us, fill our hearts, fill our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been learning from uh, the people of Israel, our forefathers in faith, learning from their rebuilding process. They had really messed up. God sends them into exile, says, hey, we're going to 
rebuild now, do it, do it God's way um, to really rebuild a community of faith that's a blessing to them and to others. So after this great rebuilding process, this is the grand culmination. Uh, Nehemiah talks about what he has done with the people. He's the one passing on uh, this history. Um, and he says, this chapter 13, remember me for good. Oh my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of God and its services. So he's kind of pleading with God, remember me for good. And then jumps back into what he did. In those days, I saw men of Judah treading on their wine presses on the Sabbath, making wine. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, bringing in their wine, grapes, figs, all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell on Friday evening and not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of errors camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply and said, what are you doing out here camping against this wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. That was the last time they came on the Sabbath. So he just shuts down making money, buying and selling on the Sabbath. Remember this in my favor. Oh my God. About that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Further, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Uh, it was a more violent time. Not that that's, um, I, I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children the next generation intermarry with pagan people of the land. I said, wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? And then he summarizes it. Remember me for good. Oh my God, have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. The end. The people have two lingering sins, two just besetting sins. Number one, not observing the Sabbath. They're supposed to take a day off, say, God is on the throne. I'm not. I'm going to rest, relax. The world will keep turning. God is in charge. God is in control. I can step back, not make money, not produce, not work one day of the week. Instead, they say, mm, another opportunity to make money. They're buying, selling, trading. They're just not resting and trusting God to be God, them to, to not be God. And then, they keep marrying foreigners. Um, and this isn't, it's not a, a racial thing. People have very incorrectly uh, said that um, this is against, you know, biracial marriage. Racially, they were ex very, very similar. It's about culture and identity and, and religion. And if you want to be really about the, the, the things of God, you don't marry somebody who's really not about that. And then your household is split half and half. Your kids are raised, you know, whoever knows which way. And, um, Nehemiah wanted them to identify deeply as a core part of, the, of their, who they were and their household and their life and their way of being, that they are children of God, they are followers of the God of Israel. So they just hadn't learned to trust and to be. And then ultimately, I also think they just didn't 
want more. The people were fine with what had happened. They used to be living in, in exile in, in Babylon uh, under foreign government religion. Now they were back. They had some more autonomy. They'd rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the cities, they rebuilt the walls. They were doing well. They defeated some of the uh, foreign people groups who had come against them. They could hold their head up high. They had some autonomy, their own country. They had their religious practices. You know, it's kind of like you can go to church on Sunday if you want to, but not if you don't want to. They had freedom, autonomy, their country, their comfort. And they wanted comfort, not consecration, which is understandable. But in hindsight, we see how disappointing that is. Nehemiah, his life's work is, is not accomplished. He fails to raise up a holy nation living with God by God's laws. He says, remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah's life's work, like all of us, is ultimately between him and God. You know, he's not judged by not succeeding in all his plans. In the end, Nehemiah basically says, well, I tried. Well, I tried. And 500 years later, in the same city of Jerusalem, the 12 disciples gathered together and they said, well, we tried. We had a great leader. He died. He came back again. He's gone. Well, we tried. But 500 years later and 50 days after Jesus came back from the dead. As the disciples gathered together and prayed, the Spirit of God fell on them in a visibly manifest way. And they were supernaturally empowered to share the good news of what Jesus had done in his death and in his resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, God's plans for Jerusalem reached move-in day. His spirit came and dwelled with them in a new and a fresh way. What Ezra and Nehemiah had dreamed for finally happened in the city of Jerusalem. Israel was truly restored because the temple had been destroyed and rebuilt in Christ's body. The walls of Jerusalem, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel were restored and the 12 disciples uh, The enemies of Israel had been defeated through Jesus' death and resurrection because the perfect Israelite had lived, walked, died, risen again in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. All was actually restored. Finally, the glory filled the temple, not the temple proper, but the people of God gathered together in Jerusalem. What Moses and Joshua, what King David, Hezekiah, Josiah, what Ezra and Nehemiah could not do, Jesus Christ accomplished. The city of Jerusalem that the saints of old longed to live in where God's presence dwelled with them. The disciples, just in, in humble uncertainty through prayer, received. And friends, that is the place of God's presence that Jesus built, that Jesus calls people from every people group out of exile back into that is the real estate that we are given as followers of Jesus blessed with the Holy Spirit. That's the meaning of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's the point of this rebuilding story is to point us forwards to what Jesus accomplishes
and what the Holy Spirit inhabits and dwells, that's where we want to move into. You know, for the Israelites, um, the, the things of God were, were more of an event, a festival, a, a project rather than a lifestyle. What they accomplished was amazing. They rebuilt the city walls in 52 days. Listen, if our church did that, we'd be like, wow, we, we just, it's so much passion, work, effort. We would be just patting ourselves on the back saying, what an amazing church we have here. But it was a project, not a lifestyle. And so they left it behind quickly. They had trouble populating Jerusalem. They had to take a, a lottery to, to determine who would actually live in the city versus, you know, working on vineyards and farms outside, making more money. The disciples, they stayed in Jerusalem when they didn't actually have that much to do in Jerusalem. Their leader was gone. You know what? It would make sense for them to, to go back to what they were doing before with their people, with their communities uh, outside. But Jesus told them, Stay in Jerusalem. Stay in this place of, of intimacy, of closeness with God. Stay in Jerusalem until you have received the promised Holy Spirit. Stay and pray. Stay and pray. Stay in that place of closeness with God. Pray for more. Lean in. Want more. Pray for more. Moses, one of his prayers, and it's become very like... um important. Um, I keep coming back to it um, in my spiritual life. Moses, he led the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt through the wilderness, just wanting to get to the promised land. God says, I'll send you into the promised land, but I won't go with you into the promised land. Moses says, nope, nope, deal off. I don't want to go anywhere, even the promised land, if you don't go with me. Exodus 33:15. if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. I just, I'm going to stay right here, in this place I don't particularly like, unless you go with me, all I want is your spirit, your presence. That's dedication. That's wanting, that's staying and praying and wanting for more and holding on for the presence of God. And of course, begs the question, do we want more? Do we have that dedication? Do we have that desire for more of the things of God? The Israelites, they were religious just because they didn't keep the the sabbath all the time doesn't mean they didn't at all you know they were observant um most folks around us are you know religious and someone will say grace before meals god bless you you know we want to live in in a christian society that's what's comfortable versus you know another religion would not be uh comfortable for us it's my guess that most of uh you watching, joining together with us. We, we want more than that. We don't just want Christian holidays off work or, you know, God bless you here. There. We, want, we want a real spiritual connection to God. We want real help and, and guidance, a real spiritual life that helps and, and nurtures us. But it's also my guess that most of us, we don't want, like, too much, too serious. We don't want it to be, like, all-consuming, you know. We want somewhere in between. But we do, we get what we ask for. Right? We get what we ask for. My, uh, my family of origin, uh, growing up, um, tried to not be too, too demanding or opinionated. Some of your families may be slightly different, uh, from mine in that. Um, but my family tried to play pretty cool with some of these things. Uh, I remember, like, two summers ago, we had everyone together and, 
preparing for a picnic or, or lunch over the summer, and I, I was in charge of the sandwich assembly line. I got everything laid out on the counter, and uh, I asked my brother, what you want, mustard or mayo on your sandwich? <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Oh, well, what you want? Oh, whichever one is easiest for you. Well, I have both condiments sitting right out here. I've got knives in both condiments. Just, just tell me what you want. It's, it's up to you. Just ask for what you want, right? Tell me. Tell me what you want. It's kind of like Christmas morning. The biggest gifts get open first, but sometimes the best gifts are hidden in the nooks and crannies, you know, behind other things, under leftover wrapping paper. The best gifts are sometimes open last. I just feel like like God says to his people, there are still more presents. There is still more gifts. I still have more things for you. Don't, don't stop with, with the obvious big items. And we should want more. And Pastor um, Simon Ponsby says that a desire for more is a sign of spiritual health. The mature want more. He says, we recognize that a marriage that no longer desires intimacy is in trouble. A baby that no longer wants to eat is sick. A, a bird that no longer wants to fly is hurt. In the same way, a child of God who no longer wants more of God is a troubled child. If a kid says, I don't want anything more from you, mom and dad, that is not actually a, a good thing. There is more. Because we are talking about God, there is more. And healthy children of God want more, want to grow and want to receive from their Heavenly Father. Friends, let's learn from our forefathers in faith. Comfort looks really cheap in hindsight. Ten years from now, uh, next year, next month, you don't want to say, Yes, but at least I, I didn't struggle. I didn't break out into a sweat. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for more than Netflix was really popular. Consecration, a, a cruise value. Consecration to the Lord looks better and better with time. It multiplies, it grows, it gets shinier as the years go by. Comfort looks real shabby, real fast. Will we choose Comfort or consecration? You know, thinking about myself, I am kind of a more type of person. You know, I'm active. I, I kind of like adventure sports. But I like control. And I do really like comfort. But what God has been saying uh, to me recently, um, I've been reading this book, Longing for Revival, just slowly because it keeps, you know, poking me in, in good ways. It, it talks about faithful obedience that just says, okay, I've got this glass half full and I will be okay with it because I believe God, you know, this is my cup, it's half full and I'm going to be faithful, obedient, okay with what God has given me. Or there's a faith-filled longing for more that looks not at my cup, but at God and says, God has so much and I want more from him because I know who my heavenly father is. Friends, I feel challenged in light of how much God has, in light of what Jesus has done and accomplished and made a way for. We do not have to say, well, we tried. 
because the day of Jesus' fulfillment has come. And friends, there is more for Vineyard Church. I know it. And there is more for you personally to experience and to grow and receive. And there is more for me to personally grow and experience and receive. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we want to turn away from everything that says that you are limited, that this is enough, that uh, we should not want more or desire more, Jesus. We want to turn away from, from the sins of not trusting you and not identifying as your children, Jesus. We turn away from that. We turn away from that, Jesus. And we do turn away from seeking our own comfort, a comfortable American religion that just uh, hangs Bible verses on our walls or, you know, seeks uh, a comfortable expression of our faith. We want to be consecrated to you. I say today, I am yours. I am yours. And Jesus, would you come and fill us Would you come and fill us with more of you, Holy Spirit? We believe that you have accomplished everything for us in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and we want to receive more from you today. That our lives would be rivers of living water, that we would be filled up for our own sanctification, for our own holiness and peace and joy in you, to live well, to live for you well, and also the blessing of others around us, Jesus. That we would be filled with you, Holy Spirit, to love on our friends and family and our community well, to be a blessing to those around us. We say we want more. We believe there is more because you are our good, kind, loving, powerful Heavenly Father. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, I want to pray for us to want more and to receive more from God, to not be uh, okay or settled or just not ask or expect anything more from the God of the universe, to settle for our own comfort instead of a beautiful, fruitful consecration to the things of the Lord. If that hits you this morning, let's pray together. Jesus, I pray over uh, myself and to everyone watching and joining and worshiping um, and calling them a child, themselves a child of God this morning together. We say this morning that we want more of you more of you, Jesus, that we want our hearts and our minds to be changed and transformed by you, Holy Spirit, that we want to experience the love of God in a fresh way, that we want to experience the peace of God rooting and filling and grounding our souls in certainty and confidence, that we want to experience your love and know how much our Heavenly Father loves us and we want others around us to experience your love, Jesus. We ask you for more, right here and right now. More of the love of God, more from a God who has immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
We ask for just a little bit more from you, Jesus. A lot for us, a little for you who has so much abundance. And Jesus, would you set our hearts in certainty that you have more and we can ask for more, Jesus? Would we not expect stinginess from you? Would we not uh, call you a stingier withholding or poor, but know you as our extravagant and generous Heavenly Father? Thank you that the more you give is deeply satisfying. That just a little from your table will change us for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We receive, we focus on you. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, God has more for us. Thank you for leaning in and expecting and preparing our hearts for that today.